Well, welcome back to another edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Assuming, of course, you've listened to this program before. If not, welcome. My name is Dan Capril. I'm a certified financial planner out of Cincinnati, Ohio. And every week I like to share with my listeners um, insights that very often you don't hear about in the mainstream financial press. Very often we're talking about issues around the myths of personal finance, things you've been led to believe that are true, largely because um, the financial community has a financial incentive in letting you believe those things are true. But we will expose those myths. You know, on this program, we do discuss a lot about taxes and the role that taxes play that tend to get overlooked because so much of the tax that we pay is the result of poor planning, especially during the retirement years. Now, today I'm going to get into something a little bit more comprehensive, and I'm going to talk about really what a good financial planning strategy should be. I recently saw a presentation, and I liked it so much that I went to the creator and asked him if I could buy the presentation, which would allow me to give it to others. And uh, he just gave it to me, which was fantastic. And what this, what this presentation does, it equates a well-designed financial strategy to a well-designed machine. Imagine for a second you were to buy a car, a used car, and you notice that it was a combination of different manufacturers. Maybe the engine was from Chevy, the chassis was from Volkswagen, uh, the transmission came from Honda, Maybe it took five or six different manufacturers, and this was all various parts that they had. Now, this car, I imagine, would run, but would it run as efficiently as if all of the parts were designed to be initially integrated? Now, probably not. Um, probably it would be best served if the you had the original parts, the original design, uh, that there was no competing going on between the parts for energy and efficiency was, was the ultimate design. Uh, you do see cars like that sometimes where you can tell uh, that, that came from a different make than that car. And, and very often I see this in people's financial planning. I'll talk to them and I'll ask them, do you have a plan? Now, just so you know, every time I've read a study that talks about the number of people who have a really fine-tuned, written uh, modified over time financial plan, uh, the survey usually shows about 1% of the population. Amazing. I mean, if you think about that, uh, that means that most people clearly are spending far more time talking about their retirement than they are ever talking about their financial future. So the fact that you're listening to this show automatically puts you in that 1% because at the very least you are, you are listening and you're learning. Now, we all have this desire to get to a destination that probably has a psychological benefit that goes along with it. Peace of mind. Now, getting there for some is a short trip. For others, it takes a while. There's a lot of diversions. And there are a lot of obstacles that can get in the way of a well-designed financial strategy. Here are some of the ones that come into play. Longevity. We end up living far longer than we anticipated that we would live which means our money is being forced to last longer, which means we can outlive our money. Inflation risk, the fact that we need to spend more money over time tends to get overlooked. It wasn't that long ago we saw a major spike in food prices, largely because gas prices had gone up. But keep in mind, you know, if you just have 4% inflation, then that means prices double in 18 years. So it's not inconceivable that over the course of a 20, 25 year retirement, that prices could more than double. Of course, 
you have your own inflation rate, the things that you buy. As we get older, we tend to buy more health care. Uh, it's been estimated, Fidelity did a study not that long ago that estimated from age 55 to death, the average person is likely to spend close to a million dollars on additional health care expenses. This is stuff not covered by insurance. Excess withdrawal risk, uh, the fact that sometimes people pull out more money than they intended to, either because there were emergencies or maybe they lacked the necessary discipline. They just weren't sure how much money they could have. When they retired, it looked like so much. And then as time went on and markets did their up and down, um, suddenly things started to um, go down. And now they're starting to feel poor. Uh, another one is kind of kind of similar to what I was just saying, market and, and miscalculation risk, this, this belief maybe that you're going to get a certain rate of return each and every year. Well, you know, I've seen people do this. They, they'll do it on spreadsheets and they'll say, well, you know, as long as I get 5% every year and I only take out four or, you know, as long as I get six and I only take out and if I only take out seven, the money's going to last like 29 years. The problem, though, with that thinking is that you're never going to get the same rate of return each and every year. Life is just simply not linear. So as a result, you're going to find yourself, particularly in years where you have negative rates of return, having to sell more shares. And even though the markets come back, those extra shares, they're gone. So that kind of ties in with another um, obstacle, another risk, if you will, or another threat to your retirement, which we call uh, sequence of return risk. Uh, the fact that you don't know what the rate of returns are going to be every year. And if you have big declines in the early years of your retirement, it could create a huge hole that would be very difficult to dig out of later on. There's also the rising tax risk. Uh, again, if you listen to this show, I talk about that a lot. But look, if you're a baby boomer and you're retiring with most, if not all, of your money in a 401k plan, IRA, accounts that you have never paid the taxes on, well, you need to be you need to understand that you don't have nearly the amount of money that you think you have that money still has to get taxed and if tax rates rise in the future you're going to have even less or if the government decides to tax even more people's social security benefit you're going to have less or if they decide to increase required minimum distributions i mean there's so many things that can be done uh, the government's well aware of the amount of money sitting in these tax sheltered accounts and you may feel that the current administration won't do that, but you know what? We get a new election every four years. So, you know, if you look at the, the difference in tax philosophies between, let's just go back to the Reagan administration. I mean, his own vice president, George Bush, raised taxes. Probably Ronald Reagan wouldn't have done that. Then you had the Clinton era, Clinton's raised taxes. You had um, George W. Bush lower them, but then Barack Obama raised them again. So right now, as we do this one, uh, President Trump is, you know, trying to get some things done in regard to tax relief. But as he's learning, it's, it's not like being a CEO. Uh, you need the approval of, of Congress. And right now he's uh, having difficulty getting that. So there's all of these issues that are out there. All right. Well, if you could think of your retirement as like a machine, then I think the idea here would be it would be a machine that I flip a switch and money just comes out. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of cool? You have this, you know, machine that it's almost like a, a leaf blower in a way. You you flip the switch and out of the out of the nozzle, instead of air, comes dollars. 
And this machine is, is in tune so that all of these risks that I just mentioned to you, they're not going to happen. And the more I started to think about this, the more I realized that building retirement income machines is really what I do, perpetual retirement income machines. Yeah, I mean, we can get into the nuances of numbers and all that, but in the most simplistic standpoint or the most simplistic view, it's a machine. So if I had such a machine, how would I design it? Well, the first thing that I would have to do when I design this machine is I would have to develop it with two specific drivers. One would be the guaranteed income driver and the other would be the variable income driver. Now the guaranteed income driver is one that would give you money for life. It would be completely guaranteed. We already have that. Uh, most people have social security and if you don't have social security, then you probably have a pension. Perhaps you work for a school district or something like that. So that's a guaranteed income driver. And from that point forward, you're guaranteed to have money paid to you for the rest of your life. The question becomes is how big do you want that guaranteed income driver to be? Do you want it to be huge in your machine or do you want it to take a small role? Now, what is the rationale behind having it be large? Well, obviously, if, if my guaranteed income driver is large, that means I can't outlive money. It's always going to come. The downside is most guaranteed income strategies require that we give money to an insurance company via an annuity. And that insurance company, while guaranteeing payment for life, has priced things in such a way that they're hoping to give you only back what you gave them. Now, if you do live well beyond the normal life expectancy, you come out ahead. If you don't, there may be much less available for your heirs. So that's something we have to be conscious of um, as we make that decision. On the other hand, we could say, all right, I don't like the payment that the insurance company is willing to give me. I think it's a rather low for the money I'm requiring that I give them. So I'm, I'm going to have a small guaranteed income driver in, in my machine. And instead, I'm going to build a large variable income driver. And the variable income driver means that you would be putting your money in a risk situation. You would be accepting more volatility. So you would have it in stocks and bonds. And the idea here is that you're hoping that over time it grows enough to not only give you the income that you need, but also perhaps have a large inheritance for your heirs. Two different ways of looking at it. Of course, we don't know where the future is headed. So it's important that these two drivers match your risk tolerance level. Now, I mentioned earlier, though, that there's all these other issues, these other risks that come up. So as I'm building this machine, the first thing I want to attach to it is a tax minimizer. I want to have a component put on there so that as money is coming out of my machine every day, every month, every year, that as little as possible is going to income taxes. Then I'm going to want to put an, an inflation filter on there. My inflation filter is going to ultimately make sure that payments can go up every year so that my purchasing power doesn't shrink. Uh, let's see some of the other components. I might put a sequence of returns buffer so that if I don't get high returns in the early years of retirement, I'm going to be okay. I would want to have a longevity warranty so that if I live longer than expected, then ultimately um, I'm not going to outlive my money. So these are the components that if we were to build a retirement planning machine, this is the components it would have. And this is really what a good retirement strategy is. Now, I like to ask people very often, 
you know, on a scale of one to 10, where do they rate themselves as it relates to their financial peace of mind? And if they say they're a nine or a 10, I congratulate them. I think that's great. The question I always have for them though is, does your strategy have these, these buffers and, and minimizers and filters in place? So has your strategy taken into consideration things like longevity, inflation, uh, sequence of return, taxes, or is it just built on the assumption that everything's gonna be great going forward? I once had a gentleman come to my office. This was around 2001, 2002. And he had said to me, he was retiring from General Electric. And if you know anything about GE at the time, uh, Jack Welch was their chairman still. And on a bad year, GE stock went up 20%. I mean, Jack Welch's period there was just fabulous. And so therefore, at the latter part of this engineer's career, that's what he was, he was an engineer, a significant amount of his net worth just grew significantly. So when he came into my office and he had 100% of his money in GE stock, he said to me right off the bat, he said, first meeting with him, he said, listen, I know you're gonna tell me I need to diversify, but I just don't wanna hear it. And as a result, that meeting ended quite quickly. I, I was kind of worried or wondering why he even came to see me if he was absolutely so certain what he should do. So he clearly had himself as a nine or a 10. But you know things like the, uh, the sequence of return filter, he didn't have it because five years later, six years later, that stock which had been trading at 65 bucks a share was down to $8. So he had no component within his machine to address that issue. And that's really what it takes to have a well-designed retirement strategy. It has to have these buffers and filters in place that hedge risk. If, if you don't have that, I wouldn't say you're flipping a coin, but it's pretty darn close because you're not factoring in what could go wrong. And good planning is all about figuring these things out. So I like to call this a perpetual retirement income machine. And I'm actually working to actually develop a literally a physical prototype, if you, if you will. It'll be a toy, but it'll have all these filters on there and it'll be labeled in form. So if you don't have a perpetual retirement income machine and you want one, give me a call. I'd be more than happy to at least talk to you a little bit more about it in detail. I'm about to do a, um, a video on this concept shortly, but um, would love to share more information with you on that. So ways to reach out to me, very easy. You can call my office, 513-563-PLAN. That's 513-563-7526. You can also email me, dan at matsonandcapril.com. Matson, M-A-T-S-O-N. Capril, C-U-P-R-I-L-L, MatsonAndCapril.com. Um, or go to our website, MatsonCapril.com. A lot of great information on there. You can even click on the, uh, there's a box there where you can ask me questions. You can also um, order a copy of your retirement rescue toolkit if you've never ordered one. It's a great kit loaded with good information, books, uh, CD, DVD, reports. We, uh, we send a ton of them out of here every week. So a lot of different ways to reach out. So until next time, again, this is Dan Capril. I want to thank you for listening to this week's version of Solving the Financial Puzzle. I look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle.
Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of NPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.